Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I didn't think, what do I, what is the future? I didn't think, what am I missing out on? I was just driven by the, the, the drive to be better at my work based on the fundamental idea that I was never going to be really good enough. So I just had to keep going and going and going and going. Welcome to hell, or dare I say, let's get the hell out of here. As we in Australia finally catapult our children back into their schools and out of our daytime lives, it's time to say a long, drawn-out goodbye to Welcome to Hell, also known as the transition to the new normal, also known as what size pants do I wear now? I'll be transitioning this podcast feed back into the nitty-gritty committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life from whence it came, so it's still going to have really good conversations with interesting people, but everyone will be sober. I hope you can deal with that. I hope I can deal with that. But that's not starting yet because this is a transition. We need to ease into it. Let's kick off our transition phase with this wonderful woman who was one of my favourite comedians to watch on TV when I first discovered stand-up comedy as a fan. She then became one of my favourite comedians to work with and learn from and one of my favourite human beings because she's such a smart, soulful and generous teacher. Nellie Thomas and I both love her very, very much. She's Rachel Berger. Rachel Berger! Oh my god! There you are. Oh my god, you look so cute. Look at your little lady. I was in my hair. I've gone very 1940s. It's all fucked. My hair's so fucked. I put a scarf on and I thought, this is how they used to do it. Like, what's such a big deal? I don't think cute, darling, but you know, it works. I thought I'll leave it for the girls. Most days, most times we record, Michelle also has a scarf. I clearly just shaved it off. I love it. I want to do that soon, actually. I think it's a really, I think it's like a rite of passage, cutting I'm just growing out my greys, Berger. I'm like, this is the time because I've wanted, because I've been dying it blonde. You can't, yeah. it's hard to grow out. I thought, fuck it, just shave it, grow it back out, let it be grey without all the half tones and whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, this is the time. So this is, what is this, Michelle, three weeks? Yeah, maybe four. So, so it's cool. already... Quite long already, really, for a shave. I, I love it. I'm loving the fact that we three are talking because I think, I don't know, how old are you both now? I'm 46. I'm 45. And, right. So, you know, I was about 45 when you first started. Yes. Yeah. Your age when I met you. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> and isn't it fantastic when actually, like, you know, you, you meet a whole lot of people in the course of a career yeah. And some you connect with and you stay connected with. There's kind of a sense from the beginning that you have a connection and others there is no connection. There never was, there never will be. And mm. you two were two women that I thought, these women are great. And so 20 years later to be tall, it's quite amazing. Do you yeah. know? 
Do you know, it's funny when I was thinking about introducing you and, you know, Michelle and I usually do something. I mean, you don't really need an introduction to be perfectly honest, but I thought I want to find a way to say, like for me, um, you are a very maternal figure. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm trying to think of the right word because maternal, you go old, dismissive, you know, like it's a patronising term in our fucking stupid culture. But this is the word that I kept coming back to where I'm like, I, you feel like my maternal presence in comedy. Like can I in, tell in you? In a beautiful way. Can I tell you? I did an interview with the, I think the Sydney Morning Herald during the week about this podcast. And he was like, oh, you know, what guests have you had? And I was telling him what guests and why. And I said, oh, you know, this guy, because he cooks and he's funny and Faye younger because yes, she's now yes. in real estate, you know, and, and everyone's worried about that. And I said, Oh, and we're going to have Rachel Berger because we just always go to Rachel when we don't know what to do. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. I have felt relieved all week thinking it's all right, Sunday afternoon, we'll, just, we'll chat to Berger yeah. and she'll give me a plan. She'll give me a plan. Just go to Berger when we just well, don't know. Look, it's a lovely comment because the truth is, uh, I guess, and I've been thinking about this a lot, I guess the truth is that, you know, I never had any children. Uh, thank God, because I would have fucked them up so badly. But uh, no, I would have for sure. But um, but I think I was so married to comedy. Because uh, seriously, that was the ho- my relationship, my primary relationship. Yeah. And so the people that I connected to were, I felt very much my responsibility, especially the women that I liked. Yes. Because I had truly gone through a kind of rite of passage initiation at the beginning the women that I met uh, sadly at the beginning were not friendly were highly competitive even Mm. some of the women which you would respect but they were still highly competitive because you know like it was 1986 even in the corporate arena some of the bullshit that I would hear at these meetings the women have got a and I don't know whether I've ever told you this. Probably I have both of you, but it's something that sits in my mind. It was one of the first women's corporate gigs that I did for like women in leadership or something, 1980s. They've all got padded shoulders, you know, that look. They're all like fucking making it. And, um, <laughs> and, and they're all getting up there. They're all saying, you know, we, you have to scratch. You have to fight yeah. to get to the top. You have to, you know, just stand on you. Know, that was the, that ethos, you know, from like right through from like mid-80s to late-90s, I reckon. Mm. And so there are all these women with padded shoulders and bold suits, bold, bold, bold. Yeah. And they were doing that power punching. You know how they were all yeah. walking into the room and, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like the comedy routine. I'm like, so I'm just looking at all this thinking, fucking hell, this is, like, I don't like it. I instinctively don't yeah. like it, but I'm in a room with, like, 300 people, women, who mm. are clearly successful by current. Mm. And then this woman gets up. Della Sargent was her name. You should look her up. D-E-L-Y-S, Sargent, S-A-R-G-E-N-T. She's literally, she's literally got sensible shoes, beige stockings, skirt, and a twin set. Yeah. <laughs> they're, all, they're all like in their probably average age, you know, 30, early 30s to early 50s, latest. So she's older than everybody. She's yeah. only older than everybody on the panel. And everybody has gotten up and made this fix. We have to fight, you have to scratch, you have to do whatever, get a glass ceiling, smash it. And Della's gets up and everybody's going, yeah, isn't it great, powerful women, you know. Della's gets up and says, I'm really disappointed. And there's a whole, like, silence in the room. She said, I'm so disappointed because what I've just seen is 
patriarchy. What yes. I just seen is women fighting yes. to the top, yes. to scratch at all costs, to destroy. To this is patriarchy. Yes, whatever the cost, whatever the price, push yep. everyone as I got her. She said I would, and, and then she said, and I and one woman, and I think it was a woman that was high up in ANZ Bank or something. She said, success is a triangle, and you know when you're at the bottom. You have to fight and claw and hang on to any little rock to get to the top. And when you get to the top, that is your space. You own it. You've made it. Mm. And Dallas referred to that and she said, I would suggest that you look at, at success as an inverted triangle. Mm. And at the bottom, when it's very, very steep, you, you, know, you, you do the best you can. However, when you get to the top, it's a very broad, flat platform. So it's the responsibility of the women that are at the top because they're balanced to throw ropes to the women at the bottom. Mm, mm. I have never forgotten that. No, I bet. So that, that, it's because it's such a powerful image and she had a lot of balls to get up and say to those women, I'm sorry, I think this is not what we in the 60s fought for. Yeah. And I to think... Do that, to do that in the room? Yeah. When, when you're in that kind of like rah-rah, achieve, yeah. it doesn't matter what the issue could be. Yeah. She was amazing. Apparently in the 70s, at the height of sort of the first or, you know, so I think late 60s, early 70s, the high, first feminism run, uh, she was ousted from Melbourne University because she was teaching women's politics. It wasn't even women, it wasn't even feminist politics. I've forgotten what she was teaching when she was an academic. And she, uh, I think it was women in power or women and something. And she, uh, she showed a video, uh, and at that time it would have been a video, or footage or film of a woman masturbating to a group full of women and she was thrown out of the university. It was perceived to be absolutely disgusting. And what her frame of reference was that if women can't actually own their own body, own their ability to give themselves pleasure, then all this academic bullshit was just all academic stuff was bullshit. She got chucked out and ostracised and treated like a piranha, like a, not a piranha, um, <laughs> whatever. But yes, yeah, yeah. Say that again. Say that again. Pariah. Pariah, pariah. Yes, yes. 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 I'm masturbating pariah in Corona. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Pariah in Corona. What is it? Pariah in Corona. Pariah. Corona. Do you know what you've just, that story you've just told is, it, it's reminded me of something that I wanted to talk to you about, both of you about today, because it picks up on something else Michelle and I were talking about. So the last ever, what I would call, you know, the kind of like proper stand-up gig, as in in a club, Friday night, lots of people yelling, you know, it was festival club. The last gig that I did was at the festival club and I got heckled. Michelle and I had been talking about being heckled and I won't, who cares, but it was a young guy and he was really gross. And I remember having that moment on stage going, oh fuck, this doesn't happen to me very often. Um, I do I leave or do I smash him? And I chose to smash him. Right. And the interesting thing was as soon as I got off stage, everyone backstage in a way that I'd never had in the rest of my career, all the people back and they were international acts because it was during festival and big, you know, well-known Australian acts. Like, oh my God, you're so amazing. I've never seen anything like it. For the rest of festival, I had people come out to me, oh my God, I heard about you at Festival Club the other night. <laughs> you know, like it was a big thing. And I felt awful. 
And I remember thinking to myself, like I couldn't articulate it because it sounds very kind of black and white, but I remember thinking, oh, you want me to behave like a man? Yeah. You know, like I don't, that's not how I am in the world. It's not how I live in my own body. It's not the kind of comedy I do. But for me to get you res- your respect, I had to behave, you know, in, maybe patriarchal is a better description, but I had to fuck that kid up even though he deserved it on some level, but I had to become him to get your respect. And I never wanted to do it again. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the dilemmas uh, for me in in the last 10 years was uh, something akin to what you're describing, because I think for women especially, and it's something I think... Uh, sort of deeply unconscious, I'd love to to sort of write an academic paper about it or something, but something deeply unconscious in all women comics is that we commodify ourselves. And given that even you, I, generation before me, certainly a part of a, a conscious, we're aware of the process of commodification of women's bodies, yes. of women's voices, of everything female. Yeah. I think although uh, there is the illusion that when you stand on a stage as a woman, you're as equal to the men because you're in the same role, there are no concessions made for you if you've got a late night gig with a bunch of guys that are having a buck's night, you know, more, worse, a hen's night. Yeah. You, you have no... Oh, you have yes, yes, worse, a hen's night. <laughs> Never a truer word spoken. Uh, worse, women oh, are worse. Oh, well, when they're pissed. For, oh, God, I've had women try to beat me up after I've pushed yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you think you are, bitch. It was my friend's wedding. <laughs> you know, I'm on stage, don't fuck with me. Just don't fuck You know, I just turned into a monster because I thought this is... that Anyway, it becomes very tribal. Yeah. But um, I think... I think it's an interesting thing that you say, Nelly, because I wonder if you would have thought that 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you probably would have thought, okay, now I've hit my strides, I yeah. know how to do this, I'm in control. And probably there was a point where you did that. Where you oh, actually- and on stage, while I was on stage, I had that out-of-body experience. Like I'd been heckled before, but never so, uh, it was very sexual, like it was really quite gross. Mm. And I had that out-of-body experience of going, I'm going, I'm actually going to fuck you up. You know, like you, it's either you win or I win and I'm going to win. Yeah. And as I walked off, I expected to, to feel empowered and I did not feel empowered at all. And even though the people around me were acting as though I should, there was such a disconnect with my own sense of self and my, and, and to me, it's a metaphor for what you're talking about. It's a bigger discussion about feminism in yeah, general. Absolutely. You know, and the rah-rah, it's like, yes, everyone thought, oh, yeah, she fucked that kid up. He was really misogynist, and he was. But I also felt there was a power imbalance in my direction. I felt that I knew skills, power, age, intellect, a whole range of things against him. I felt like I could have gotten that whole room in a kind of past-the-conch-piggy kind of way to kill that kid. You know what I mean? Like, I felt I didn't like it. it. I didn't like it at all. It didn't feel empowering at all. So this is what I, I, for myself, I've been thinking for a while, that there is, in, in order as a woman to become equal, you know, to do your work as a comedian, because you can't change the form. The form is the form. The same as acting is acting. You learn your script, you get on stage, you do it again and again and again. 
stand-up gives the illusion of, you know, freedom. You say it's all, it's mm. bullshit. You know it's bullshit. It's got, you know, there is an amount of freedom, but basically there is a form. And the form is that you're there in front of an audience and you talk. You kind of have a structure. You might go off, but there's still a structure. And the form is fundamentally um, combative. It may not be overly yeah. combative, but it is yeah. in its core combative because it is yeah. one single person creating a, commun- a relationship between a group of people. So you have to really use every single, because you, know, you don't play an instrument, you don't mind, yeah. you just talk and you have your body. So you, you have all these things and a woman is not using her body in the way that women traditionally, we're not singers, we're not flashing our tits, we're, not, we're actually just using our brain and our physicality to get that happening, right? Mm. So when it comes to uh, responding in the form, mm. heckling someone and destroying someone, uh, particularly, I think, as you get older, mm. I think initially there is, you know, in your 20s there is a triumph, then there is a sense of, um, you know, I've hit my strides. And then I think when you're older and you know you're good at it and you know this kid is like a harmless fucking puppy that's never been yeah. slapped and yeah. just, you're just going to go, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. Like, because, yeah. because your own thing takes over. Yeah. You know? And so you do it. I, my, what I, I think is that you then begin to think, I am not actually... I didn't, I'm not that person. This is no. what I've been made in order to do my work. That's exactly right. I felt like a soldier, like yes. kind of dramatic. Yeah. I felt when Michelle and I were talking about um, heckling the other day, the same kind of thing. It's like an in, a certain environments change people. Yes. And to me, that's not um, going back to your story about the rah-rah, you know, 80s, climb, claw your way to the top. That environment is fucked. That is not empowerment. It's not. But, I mean, the other thing that I keep thinking, that I keep coming back to is it's something that in your 30s, I think, in your early 30s, you can convince yourself that you are, um, that you are taking on that role and winning and that yes. you have, you know, that you have, that you're acting like a man and you're in a man's world and you're winning and you've taken on all of that and, and you're doing it. But then... At some point, you have to accept that the rest of the world isn't playing the other roles that you need to be filled to succeed. You haven't bent the whole thing. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that eventually, you realise, like, I, I still am, and in fact, more resentful of the fact that I all I ever wanted was to play my father's role. As a child, I just all I thought was, well, I'll just, I just want to grow up and be you, which is great. And so for a long time, I was. But unfortunately, no one else wants to play my mother's role. Yeah, oh, right. And so I keep saying to people, all of my peers um, have wives now. So we're all the same age. Yeah. We're all for a long time. We all lived parallel lives. But hang on, now we've all got children the same age. Yeah. I can't work the the way they work anymore because I also right now I'm homeschooling my children. Their wives are homeschooling. That's right. That's exactly, and this is the, again, the unspoken part of all of that stuff is going, and you've articulated it beautifully to go, okay, well, I want to be like dad. I want to be provider. I want to be strong. I want to stand on my own two feet. But I want to get everything that comes with that. And what comes with that is a person person at home who's caring for a lot of stuff, but who is also your great defender, who when you come home and you're tired and grumpy and you're a bit of an asshole, says to the kids, hey, he works 100 hours a week for us. We should really, you know, take care of him and we should let him sleep and we should... Yeah. Uh, and, you you know, I don't have that 
ally, that defender, that other half. But even on a pragmatic level as well, the things that are overlooked, like, yeah. well, and here's your chicken soup, and the kids' forms are filled in for school. And no, yes, you want to do a gig where you get home at 2 o'clock in the morning, no worries, sleep in till 10, yeah. fine. Yeah, it's nowhere near. You're quite right. No one stepped into the other role. It's just, I mean, it's that classic, who said it, Berger, a few years ago, a famous American feminist of, you know, women, we thought we were going to get it all. We're just doing it all. I yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't know who it was, but absolutely. But I do, do your husbands, um, you both have husbands, partners. Yeah. yeah. Well, what role do they play? Well, they're, they're still, <laughs> they still, like, play their role to a certain degree. I mean, like, like Adrian's supporting, we don't even live together anymore, Burger. We broke up for a while and then we got back together romantically, but we don't live in the same house because of my, a lot of it, it's my independence. Like I just kind of, mm. I want my own space so much, my independence and um, yeah, so it's just, it's weird mm. being this kind of person that I am, which is my father had so much freedom in his life and that's what I think I fucking want that. I want to be this free person who still gets to have a family and still gets to, to have all of that, which all of my peers have, by the way. Mm. All those guys. Like, have just just ex because I'm not in your position. So both of you explain to me, I don't know what you mean by being like your father, Michelle. What was it about that that you wanted? I wanted to come and go as I please, never answer for anything, never... Um, and in your home life, that's what that's what happened. But your mother did all of that. With, looked after the kids and did everything. Yeah. And then when he, at some point you saw that you you know that was how you lived, and you decided you would rather be like him. You didn't want to be like her. No, God no. Why would you? Why? Well, would why? You but why? Why? No, no. Some women did. Would yeah, want you're right. Yeah. Mm. So why did you choose him? Because to me, his life looked more empowered, more powerful, more fun, mm. more less responsibility, less. Uh, it, it just looked freer. It, he looked free. He just he just left, and we never knew where he. How he was working, but we never knew exactly where he was, what he was doing. He sounded like he was always just chat. He was a taxi driver, right? So he was always just chatting with people. He'd come home and say, "Oh, bumped into this guy, bumped into that guy, had lunch with this person." And then he'll, every night he went to a pub and had drinks with his friends and, mm. you know, we're at home. So they, and they do get to have it all. That's the reality in that, in that certainly of that generation, and yeah. I'll argue probably still for, uh, in a lot of cases, yeah. they do get to go, yes, you can climb whatever ladder you want, doesn't matter if you're driving a taxi or you're working at fucking BHP or in comedy, yeah. um, but you can have your kids on Saturday afternoon, have a nice barbecue and your mates around. And but so that's the safety and security of family life, but without the, you know, wiping the ass and filling in the forms. I remember there's a radio executive, a woman who uh, once said in an interview that she has childcare for like some, and she, she said the number of hours a week, right? And it was a huge number of hours a week. And it was the talk of the industry. Why? Well, in a negative thing, is in it? Yeah, absolutely. Because people are saying... Oh, well, of course you can be her if you never raise your kids, if you're never there. Yeah. No? God, people are assholes, aren't right? they? Right? Like, they, resented, they resented the fact that she had the childcare? They weren't resentful of it. They were just judgmental of it. They were like, oh, yeah. well, you know, it was that idea of you can't have it all. It's the idea that yeah. oh, she's gotten to this position by acting like a man, by not 
taking care of her children by having kids and then never bothering to be at home with them. And so, and this was, I was quite young at this stage, so I didn't understand uh, what it's like to be a 45 year old woman who's still trying to work because your brain is still absolutely as active and creative and you still feel as vibrant and um, engaged, but your kids are so, you know, it, but, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burger, when when Nelly stopped working, that's that scared me. That I just thought, no, you can't, you can't stop working to take care of your children. That's fucking no, that can't be right. That can't happen. That can't happen. You're you're young. You're creative. You're you're at the peak of your powers. You've got a career. Like in what world is that? Can that happen? Well, I think it's in the world where, you know, like I had to get to the, as you both know, to the verge of a nervous breakdown to make the decision. Yeah. I mean, it's like how many different ways was, was the universe or whoever, whatever, let's call it the universe, telling me it was time to change and I ignored and ignored it. Like I, had, I took it to the edge to, to even make that decision because it's a hard decision for a feminist to make. It's yeah. a hard decision for any woman to make. But Berger, connected to that, going back to your question about um, my partner, I mean, I have been that woman in that room of, you know, a thousand women leaders hosting and said, you know what, myself and my partner are both gender studies trained at university level and we're not even close to equal. And they don't like it. No. <laughs> they do not like But I thought, for me, I'm like, I know there's fucking women in this room who have to pretend that yeah, it's yeah. and I will not do that. I won't bag lock out either because I can give you all the reasons why that are some to do with him and some to do with me and most to do with society. But both of us committed gender-trained gender feminists in the middle classes cannot achieve equality at home. We've got some work to do. I, look, I agree, and I, th and I know women, a lot of women like you're describing, and I've known them through their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and now 60s. Um, what I will say to you to make you feel better, um, I didn't take, uh, I didn't have the constraints that you're describing. 
right? Um, I didn't. I don't think I made a conscientious choice not to have children, but I, I think I made that choice because I had a very complex and challenging childhood mm. and I knew that if I had children, I'd probably fuck them up pretty badly. And I think I made the right choice. But what it meant was that I had what you're describing, uh, ideal situation. I was financially independent. I had, by the time I'd started stand-up, I'd worked so hard making costume jewelry and I think that I had paid off my apartment. Oh. Uh, I worked like an idiot. I was driven. I was focused. When I started stand-up from, ne- you know, I was shit for the first 12 months and then I got good and then in three years I was working in London. A lot of success. Totally no partner, no nothing, no children, no pet, not even proper furniture. The lovely apartment that I had in Brighton, two-storey 1950s apartment, when I went to sell it, I had to hire furniture because I didn't have furniture. I had my office and my bedroom. I had absolutely no life except my work, which I loved for a very long time. It was like this, this kind of desire I don't even remember hearing the the applause I don't even remember sitting down and thinking you know strategic as people do now because it's much more commodified I remember thinking strategically do I need an agent or I just fucking did it mm-hmm. and I'd sit for hours at night sending faxes off for Edinburgh or whatever you know just I kept going and going I didn't think what do I what is the future I didn't think what am I missing out on I was just driven by the 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 drive to be better at my work based on the fundamental idea that I was never going to be really good enough. So I just have to keep going and going and going and going. In my universe was that uh, while other women like yourself, the younger comics went off, had children, and be- before you, the, you know, Wendy Harmer and Jean Keatson, who were my peers, did the same. Mm. So I watched, you know, I watched peers and I'm still going, 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 going. It all fell apart. Yeah. Right? For you or for them? For me. For me. Because suddenly through a series of ridiculous, what happened was at 45 and 47, given what you've already done, I think it would be much more useful and I know it would be much more useful for you to absolutely revel and acknowledge what you have achieved in your work and that every career that's, creative, be it writing, stand-up, acting, painting, whatever, you know, if you look at any career of anybody, writer, Picasso, they are in waves. They are in waves. So that if you look, let's say, at what you've done until now in terms of your careers as the first wave, yeah. um, you can't keep going. You actually cannot keep yes. going because the demands required of you professionally are so powerful. Yeah. You cannot be available for your children who you have brought into the world. Mm. You cannot be relied upon to be the mother that you want to be while giving 150% to the other. So this phase, this middle phase of your life is about the children and mothering. Do not fear that if you stop, it disappears. That's patriarchy. Yes. That's the idea that if you yes. keep going, if you don't keep going, it's going to fucking go away. Yes. It go away. There, yeah. are, there are women, people like Lenny Reifenstahl, who started making films for Hitler, sadly, mm-hmm. at like 60, 
There are other women who start writing at 70. There are, you know, there are endless careers that begin at that age. So for you, you don't ever lose your creative. I've never lost my creative spirit. I don't think I will. I think at my, you know, I mean, I'm, I've said to people on my gravestone, I want, this is your five-minute call, Miss Bird. <laughs> you know, I think that women, you know, women, and I hear it too, you know, women 10 years younger than me say, oh, I, just, I can't bend anymore. I just, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be on that property with a wheelbarrow. You'll, you'll have a fall and break. Well, yeah. I've had several falls. I've fallen. I've gotten really good at fucking falling because Mm. that's part of working on land that's uneven and people fall, right? Mm. I think there is a mythology, probably patriarchal, probably a lot of those, you know, women who just, people are just lazy. Men and women can be lazy and say, I don't want to do it anymore or they go through menopause in their body. I think that whatever, neither the physical or the creative spirit disappears. What you have to do is learn, first of all, what do I actually want? What is, where do I, you know, all the energy and the time and the love and the, and everything that you put into your children, that will, at a time when the children are not as needy, Mm. I can guarantee you, reverts back to you, what you want to do. To something. Well, do do you know what's interesting is that I was sitting there last night and it hadn't occurred to me before, but I thought, I feel like a bit like Truman Show you know, centre of the universe. I'm like, oh, I decided. Uh, it took me three fucking years of my kid being chronically ill to decide to retire for a year at least. And now everyone's retired. The thing is you cannot be everything. No, you, uh, well, I can't. I reckon some people really can, but I can't. You can if you have staff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, you've got, if you've got nannies. I've yeah. seen it with people. A friend of mine's a doctor. Um, she's single, uh, I mean, she's divorced, she's got two girls and, you know, she pays so much money for things to be done for her. I do, yeah, I do all that. Because I, I go, would that actually work? I mean, I know you're missing your yee it's not yee My Nodji. Your Nodji. Yep. So what does she do on a day-to-day level? Nodji comes three times a week. So Nodji's a Hungarian lady burger and... Um, because I always needed nannies when I worked. Because I've got twins, I discovered when they were babies that it was cheaper to have a nanny than to send them to daycare. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I've always had a nanny. and um, But I've always had older ladies who will also cook and clean, which is magical. Yeah. We've had Nodji since they were two. And so she's a Hungarian lady in her 60s. And really, she's like, she's a nana. They, they think she's their, one of their grandmothers. Everyone thinks she is. And she comes three days a week and... She just cares for me as much as anybody. Mm. And she cooks us, you know, European comfort food yeah, yeah. and makes my bed for me and says, Oh, oh heaven. Well, and kisses and hugs me. And You must uh, be missing her. I miss her desperately. And then she yeah. had an older relative downstairs called Carola, who is 90. And we have Carola come as well. And sometimes we visit Carola. And Carola always says to me, Oh, Michelle, it's nice to meet you every time I see her. But Nodji's been in lockdown taking care of Carola and I'm here taking care of my mum. So we decided, okay, we have to actually ISO separately. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I couldn't survive without my Nodji. I couldn't yeah. do it. I think everybody, ha- you know, depending on what your work, work level is, depending what, I mean, I didn't have children. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have it. I just worked till I didn't have 
till one day I was having lunch with somebody and literally my head just fell into the soup. I was oh. exhausted. I like seriously so exhausted that when I finally oh, backed yeah. off, yeah. I didn't call it backed off, but when I finally backed off, I probably cried every day for three weeks. I didn't even know what I was crying about. It was just my body going, you are like, how, what are you going to do? And the irony was, sorry, the irony was that I worked so hard, you know, as a single woman from a Holocaust survivor family. So security was important because if you didn't have money, the Nazis would come and you couldn't pay them off. And there was always someone waiting in the yeah. back to kill you and shoot you, steal your money, whatever. So all that paranoia, all that fear, I worked not only creatively to be the best I could be, but because I had a strong idea about feminism and about, you know, socioeconomic ideas and all the stuff that didn't get me on television because I wasn't prepared to talk about being single and fat and whatever, yeah. uh, so which worked against me. Nevertheless, the only way to get a career and make a living was to work, keep working hard live. I, I remember once doing three gigs in two states in one day. Breakfast gig in Melbourne. In the morning, lunchtime gig in Sydney, came back and did a comedy festival show that night. Oh, and yes. I thought, gee, aren't I brilliant? Until I literally couldn't walk. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't even see it coming. And so what happened, I literally in a 12-month period, I lost it, like every because I was working so hard to secure my future that I didn't actually realise how exhausted I was and I made two or three decisions which meant in 12 months not only did not have any money and owned a flat, I was almost homeless. Mm. in 12 months yeah. and I haven't really recovered but thankfully the universe or the gods or whatever have pushed me consistently to situations where I'm challenged again and again and again about the big the you know why this happened um, and I feel very grateful but it's also made me look in relief this is a period see the thing is Nelly I wouldn't have even used the word retired you know because you're not retired do you know why I needed that word because Michelle's asked me about that I one thing I'm learning about myself in isolation is that I can't do half a thing like yeah. I can't just go oh, yeah do it half an hour a week I yeah. may as well go back to work and make actual money yeah. So at the moment like I think I mean without sounding completely wanky but I think you'll both get this I am starting to do meditation. I am pondering these things. I hope my challenge is to get to the point where I can do a bit of something, but at the moment it's beyond me. So I just went drop it. And that's why retirement's important for me. So I go, you're not working, Thomas. You're not working. Uh, no, I totally get why I get that. And I am exactly the same. Thank you for downloading Welcome to Hell. I hope you'll hang around on this stream for some all new episodes of the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life, starting in mid-June. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.